how can I put this? Every religious teacher combined compared to what Jesus taught is like it's like the noonday sun compared to a flashlight without batteries. They don't come anywhere near what Jesus is saying. (laughs) Never a man spoke like this man. Never a man said the things that this man spoke or said. Especially the empty attitudes. If, if, you, if you're seeking the way of salvation and you think these are seven steps to heaven, you're going to find as you go through them, they go in the other direction yeah. because they condemn us. These are virtues of the Christian character. I got energy in my legs, tension in my throat. <laughs> energy in my legs, tension in my throat. Oh, mocker. <laughs> Last day's mocker. That's what it is. Oh, what, is wow. what would you guys do without me to pick on? I'm trying to count how many times I've heard you say those phrases. Uh, energy in my legs. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Well, it's very common. Most people don't realize how common it is. Right across America, I think millions have got it. If you have... Uh, sugar before you go to bed, you'll you'll wake up about two hours later with a lot of energy in your legs. It drives you crazy. Mm. I can't remember what it's called. Rachel gets it. Yeah, my beloved wife has inherited it. Three it's in called, the morning, I wake up, she's doing squats. full of energy. It's called legergy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I actually used to eat a candy bar before I preached, so it would hit when I was right in the middle of my sermon. Energy in my legs. I do, I do push-ups. In the middle of your sermon? <laughs> yes, right in the middle. <laughs> Between points two and three, I have a 15 uh-huh. uh, push-up break. Mark, you ever had energy in your legs? I don't even know what you guys are talking uh, about. Yeah, look, I, it, look it up. I, it, it's one of the most miserable feelings. It, it's hard to explain. So but you've, you've I've had it, yeah. and I had it for like a season, and then it stopped. Where your leg just starts. No, no, no. It's, no. it's, it's, it's this like you feel like you're going to go crazy. Yeah. Your legs just feel like they want to run a thousand miles an hour. That's right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, I, you, I, you get most, no, I get up most. I get up most night, and I, I work it out on my bike. It must have been sympathy. I've never felt it because normal. Yeah. Yeah. What are you talking about? Energy in my legs. Okay, Ray, explain tension in my, I got tension in my throat. <laughs> tension in my throat. Yeah, um, tension actually manifests often in your throat and down your chest, and a lot of people get that too. That all began with the grandkids, Ray. Well, I, <laughs> we yeah. We, yeah, when grandkids come around, we got these neat toys for them, and the second time they come around, we are hidden all the toys because they were noisy toys. <laughs> Never buy noisy toys for little kids. You really regret Definitely. it, you know? Oh, yeah, the the little things. And then, oh, they'd like go to their toy box and move something around, and then it'd hit a button. <laughs> <laughs> I got tension and that was fight. that was that was fun for the first thousand times. Then you think, no, no, that's going. That that toy is going. Speaking of oh. toys that obnoxious noise sounds, what do you have in front of you, Ray? This is a oh. gift from Ken Ham because I raise chickens and Ken Ham mocks chickens, but chickens mm. lay eggs. They're great things, and it's uh, it's called a uh, uh, squeeze me for emotional support. <laughs> <laughs> I wish people could see it. The thing's got a vest on it. It's like the, like the, they do on the dogs. Yeah, so Ken sent this to me as a gift, and every time I look at the face, I think of him. <laughs> Ray, uh, you used to have one, uh, but you, you'd squeeze it, and a big bubble would come out of its mouth? Remember I think so. Yeah, I used to oh, use a Huntington Beach glorious. and talk about which, no, came, which came first, the chicken or the egg. And obviously, the chicken came first, as the Bible says. It's, oh. it's no, there's no mystery about it whatsoever. Chickens are weird. No, they're not. Have you guys seen the the uh, the naked chickens where Excuse they take me? The f- <laughs> like that one right there? <laughs> take uh, the feathers off. Like that a, one right there. This is a family program. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about nudity on here. Uh, yeah, what's up with that though? There, I don't know if it's a certain breed. Or what do you they, mean the naked chickens? I don't know what you're talking about. They, you've never seen chickens where they take all their feathers off? I would we not eat watch them that every night. <laughs> yeah, that's all. All oh. of the chickens I eat for dinner. Have we no eat feathers. naked chickens every chicken. night. Is it the Chicken Boy program or what? Oh, what's boy. going on? We were in Georgia once, and we went by a chicken farm. It was pretty atrocious. Is this going to be a long story? <laughs> Very long. <laughs> yeah. So, Ray, you like your new uh, comfort toy there? Yeah, it does, does give me comfort and emotional support. It helps, <laughs> me, it helps me with my energy in my legs and my tension in my throat, because I love this noise. <laughs> wow. That's somebody so is. good. You got to send something to Ken Ham. I can't think I of what I told him this morning, him. the dinosaur we have reminds me of him. Well, I'm gonna and, I'll, and the skunk. I'll send him my dentist bill. Oh. That'd be a Ken nice gift. Ken loves dentists. Yes. Poor guy. All right, friends, we have a comment. This just is a say very... comment, comment, C-O-M-M-E-N-T. Comment. comment. Try comment. Just No, no, just give it a try. Okay. <clears throat> oh, here here it go. goes. 
Comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This one is this is a nice one. Oh, here we go. It's going to mention it's easy. easy. I wonder if Easy's name will be in the mention. What's the over under? It's a nice I, I one when it's his name and no one else's. I, I don't think mine will be in it. The choice of best host is Easy. <laughs> <laughs> easy is the best host. Easy's New Zealand impression is incredibly You're accurate. making this up. You wrote no, it no, yourself. No, 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 I didn't. I well, did he it. did. This is from Nelson DJO. Uh, or zero. The choice of best host is easy. Easy is the best host. Easy's New Zealand impression is incredibly accurate. The podcast can be boring at times. The hosts never laugh. And if you'll buy that, I have some oceanfront property in Kansas to sell you. <laughs> so all of it was that a was, lie. Yeah, that was funny. a lie. That was actually funny. <laughs> oh, boy. I Good love that. You. Well, thank you anyway, Nelson. Nelson, we'll, we should frame that and put it on the wall here. Yeah, Mr. we should. By the way, frowns. Shout out to my cool cousin, Tina. Yeah. Tina. Come on, guys. We had Seriously, lunch with Tina. Don't you feel like you've known Tina? Uh, Tina? Tina. <laughs> we got your name wrong, Tina. <laughs> Sorry, Tina. Uh, but really, didn't you feel like you guys have She's known great. her like forever? Just so personable. And Yeah, I was actually talking to my wife, and I said, she, she seems like one where you just kind of crash on her couch. You're not worried that she's going to be standing over you staring at you. Right. That's <laughs> nice. super cool. I texted super. Easy, and I said, she is now the ninth favorite Zwayne ever. Yeah, that's right. right. No, really, love now Tina. Anderson. Love Tina. Yeah, Tina. Tina, we love you. Thanks for coming out and uh, listening to the podcast and telling your friends about it and um, hanging out with us crazy guys. I mean, she put up with a lot. Mm-hmm. Four Poor of girl. us at lunch. Mm-hmm. She went straight to therapy after. <laughs> <laughs> Still in it. All right, friends. This podcast is brought to you by Jesus in Red. By the way, black and teal. Ray, that teal was a nice touch. Well, the publishers did it. I didn't. Uh, it wasn't your idea. No, no. That's all, all they're all they're doing. Yeah, the ladies like the teal. That's so nice. you're saying get the Jesus in teal, or <laughs> Jesus in red, in teal, in teal. There's, yeah, people ask for Jesus in red and black. Yeah, which is kind of weird. In teal or in black. You guys know I had a teal car. Not surprised. Back in the day, Toyota Tercel. So did I. Oh, a Tercel. What did year was it? No, no, My first car was a Tercel. Protégé? Yours was green, Mark. No. I remember that thing, and you had. Uh, you had a, a, a speaker put on it. I, where you I could did. T- oh, what was your, I used to could, preach to people. Yeah, Bruce Cook and uh, Robbie. Oh, Douglas that's bad. On. What was your guys' first cars? Hey, hang on, hang on. We've got uh, to camp on this just for a second. Okay. What Mark did. What did you do, Mark, with your car? I, I had a, uh, a intercom system put on it <laughs> so I could uh, preach the gospel to people <laughs> down at the beach. But it came in handy in other ways as well because when people were going slow in front of me, I'd go, And it would pull up. I remember people pulling over because it was so loud. Now, since this is confession time, I just thought I would share that. Such a bad person, Mark. Yeah, I I remember using it. uh, I think you were, this is ages ago. You were taking me to speak up in Big Bear. And I discovered the beauties of your intercom system. One of my first cars. You feel powerful. Hey, get out of the way. (laughs) Move. (laughs) One of my first cars was, uh, is that that it? That's it. Intercom Tercel. That's green, Mark. That's not it's teal. Protege, my Tercel was teal. I uh, my one of the first cars I drove. Two things that were interesting about it is the first thing is if you came to a complete stop, it would die, and <laughs> often not turn on. So like you know, I was I wasn't a believer, but you know, I'd, I'd go out on these dates and like you'd come up to a red light and like the girls talking and you're just like sweating, like please turn green, please turn green because you didn't want your you're car to stop. Kidding me. But then the other thing too is the passenger side door. If you turned left hard enough, it would swing open. Wow! And so I would. I, one time I didn't tell what a cousin this, of mine. Bro, some jalopy. Hundred <laughs> percent. It was a jalopy. <laughs> hoopty. Remember that song, my hoopty. Yeah, my yeah. whip. Uh, so I had a cousin uh, in the passenger side of my car, and I didn't tell him about the door, and I hit a hard <laughs> no. left, and the door opened. He was like. <laughs> It's freaking oh, out. That's crazy. Yeah, my first Good car times. was a um, Mitsubishi Starion Turbo. A Starion. Oh, yeah. I loved it. it. Had a turbo button you'd hit, kind of like the it had Mazda. a turbo button. Yeah, really? I never heard that before. Yeah, did anything nice. happen with the turbo? Just, <laughs> uh, he wrote really. turbo. I was, I was a new believer. <laughs> I was such that. a stickler on driving 55. And I told you guys, I had the sprayers in the back, the water sprayers <laughs> for the windshield in the back wiper, and I I hit it a few times. I had to repent. But yeah, Mitsubishi Starion. Nice. What was yours, Mark? First car? Uh, I paid two hundred dollars for a nineteen eighty two Subaru GL, and it, it served me well. Subaru, yeah. 
You don't strike me as a Subaru kind of dude. Yeah, I paid two hundred dollars for it, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. which was a lot ticket. back then. Ray, you remember your first car? I had a horse. <laughs> I was going to say horse <laughs> and carriage, horse and horse and carriage. We yes. would believe it, right? And yeah, no matter what I said, you'd go back to horse and carriage. <laughs> yeah, so I just, I'll go there straight away. You beat me to the punch. <clears throat> Do you remember your first car? Yes, Hillman. What? A Hillman? <laughs> Literally a carriage. Is that a horse and buggy? Sounds no, like a mother's it's a Hillman. <laughs> I think it was a Hillman. I can't remember what it was. Some, but it had wheels and a, and a steering wheel and doors and things like that. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. Was that All New right. Zealand? <clears throat> yep. Yeah, yeah. When I, I better not say that. Jesus and <clears throat> red. Oh, thanks. That's really good. <laughs> Black and teal. Who's telling you this? It's Emil. So uh, Jesus and Red, friends, is a devotional by Ray Comfort. Jesus' words highlighted in red, short meditations, soul-searching questions, and inspiring prayers. Make sure to check it out along with the Evidence Study Bible, which my cousin Tina now has because she visited it. Us, us, uh, regarding Jesus and Red, it isn't really Jesus' words and Red. It's only Jesus' words. Only Jesus' all words. All that he said and all that's just taken out. We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters Podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, a $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just his words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, friends, today we are going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount and do highlights from it. Now, Ray Comfort wanted to hit all three chapters, but we're only going to do... <laughs> oh, oh, Revelation 21, verse yeah. 8. Come on, spit oh, out the truth, easy. Only chapter this 5. This crazy. Right. How could you say we're going to talk know. about the highlights in the Sermon on the Mount? There's no highlights. The whole thing is yeah. a highlight. That was pretty That's insane. Yeah. So... What we're going to do, friends, is talk about uh, chapter five. We're going to get into the Beatitudes. I don't think we'll get out of the Beatitudes. I don't think we will either, but we'll try. And uh, that means later on we could do another one and deal with other portions of the Sermon on the Mount. You seem very content about that. Yes, yes, yes. I am. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> I know. There's, I, that was pretty stupid of me. There, to, there are certain things that. I love in Scripture, but when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount, this is the greatest preacher that ever lived preaching the greatest mm. sermon ever preached. Amen. God manifest in the flesh, and it's absolutely thrilling. What are you looking at? Spence? I'm looking at your notes so I can steal them. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so Jonathan Pennington said this. He said, Jesus' message in the sermon is that God is our Father mm. who sees and cares about the heart, not just external righteous deeds and religion. I think that's a good way to sum it up. Uh, getting to the heart, uh, which Jesus did well. You know, I think sometimes as believers, we get so accustomed to the things Jesus said and did, we kind of get desensitized to how radical they were in that time. I mean, he really was, it's become cliche and it's been used in, in wrong ways, but he really was a revolutionary uh, in terms of his impact. But in a sense, he wasn't because all he was doing is, according to Isaiah, magnifying the law and making it honorable. And when you magnify something, it's already there. You just make it more evident. Yeah. And what he's bringing out is the spiritual nature of the law opening up the law to show us that God requires truth in the inward parts. And I absolutely love it when Jesus, seeing the multitudes, went up into a mountain. Moses went up a mountain. Jesus comes up a mountain to magnify the law. And when he was sat, his disciples came to him. Mm -hmm. And that's what every disciple does, come to sit at the feet of Jesus. And then he opened his mouth and taught them. And that seems like a super, superfluity. Yeah. He opened his mouth. How can you teach without opening your mouth? Well, Jesus did by his very life. Without opening his mouth, we have the greatest example of godliness ever given. The etymology of superfluity is uh, a hero made out of water. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> that is terrible. Uh, you know, uh, Tom, <laughs> Tom Holland is a uh, historian. He Tom is. Holland. Isn't Spider Man? Spider Man? Oh, there's probably a Tom Holland that's Spider Man. But Tom Holland is also a historian, not a theologian. He's a historian. He's, a historian. Yeah. he's a historian. He's not a Christian, but he wrote a book called Dominion, about 1,100 pages, worth every read. It's really good. And his big argument in the book of Dominion that Jesus' life, specifically the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, 
completely changed history for the better. And so many times people will say, oh yeah, Christianity was good in the sense that it brought in schools and hospitals and libraries. Yes, that is true. But Tom Holland's point is that he also changed the ethical value of the entire world of Western civilization and Eastern civilization. Before it was the strong should dominate the weak. You know, if you were an Anglo-Saxon walking around and you felt like in your heart of hearts, you wanted to take over your neighbor's land and take their wives as yourself, that was considered the honorable thing to do. And then the Sermon on the Mount comes along and this idea of loving your enemy, of the, the meek would be made strong, of caring for the poor, all of this stuff that we value now, right? That we value uh, equality for minorities, as an example. All of these deeply Western and Eastern values come from Jesus and specifically the Sermon on the Mount. Mm, that's good. Yeah, so let, let me set it up for us a little bit. You know, when we talk about the Mount, right? Well, what, what are we talking about? And we've been there in Israel. Mm. I've been on that Mount where Jesus gave that sermon. And what a beautiful view. I mean, overlooking there, Galilee? Overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. It's in, in Israel, obviously, on what's called the Chorazim Plateau. And yeah, it's just a hill there. They call it a mountain or whatever, but it's a hill, you know, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And we oftentimes hear the term Beatitudes, and I think sometimes, you know, we don't really capture the meaning of it. It's like, what's a Beatitude? So the word Beatitude means this, this is a definition given in a dictionary. If you're extraordinarily happy, you might describe what you're feeling as beatitude. The noun beatitude refers to a state of great joy, being blessed, or at least feeling blessed, and it's often linked to a beatitude. Beatitude uh, inherited its blessedness from the Latin word beatus, meaning both happy and blessed. In the Bible, the Beatitudes are a series of eight blessings. And so that's, when we say the Beatitude, you know, oftentimes we hear that, what does that mean, right? It's tied with blessings and Jesus and all those blessed are you, blessed is the, you know, and so forth. But Oscar. before you even get into the Beatitudes, you have to recognize verse one, who he's preaching to and why, and the fact that he's on a mount. Because there's a, there's a lot for us to be able to understand before you even get to those Beatitudes. And the fact that Jesus is preaching on a mountain outside of the city is very significant. That's often where people would start revolutions. Mm. And of course, we know that Jesus didn't start a revolution to overthrow Rome. Rather, he started a spiritual revolution. As a matter of fact, to use a biblical terminology, what he did is he was creating or uh, ushering in a new covenant, which is gonna come in his kingdom. And there's intentional parallels here between Jesus and Moses. It was Moses that went up on Mount Sinai. It's Jesus that goes up on the Sermon on the Mount. It's Moses that comes down with the Ten Commandments. It's Jesus that delivers the law to our hearts. Jeremiah 31 prophesies this when it says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will make a new covenant. This is referencing the Sermon on the Mount. And with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, the Lord declares. Verse 33 in Jeremiah 31, instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord declares. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Mm. For I will forgive their iniquity and again, not remember their sin. So Jeremiah is prophesying this moment and he's basically saying there was Moses on Mount Sinai, but there will be a greater Moses, Jesus. And he's gonna get up on the Sermon on the Mount and he was, he's going to embed God's commandments in this new covenant on our hearts. And just one other thing to say is that often people talk about the Sermon on the Mount as though it's an ethical teaching for society, or even you'll hear that it's like the, the private Christian life moral ethic. But because of that verse, he began to teach them, right. his disciples. He had onlookers. The, uh, the rest of the world was listening, but this sermon is first and foremost to his disciples. This is an ethic for how to live in the church. Here's how one theologian puts it. What Jesus is saying is this, now that I'm here, 
God's new world is coming to birth. And once you realize that, you'll see that these are habits of heart which anticipate that new world here and now. These qualities, purity of heart, mercy, and so on, are not, so to speak, things you have to do to earn a reward or a payment, nor are they merely the rules of conduct laid down for the new converts to follow. They are, in themselves, the signs of life, the language of life, the life of new creation, the life of new covenant, the life which Jesus came to bring. That oh, is the no, Sermon no, on the Mount. That's really good. Yeah, and, and you hit it, Oscar. You know, Expositor's Bible Commentary says, here Jesus stands at the height of his popularity. Although his ministry touched the masses, he saw the need to teach his disciples, those who especially wanted to attach themselves to him, Jesus takes a side to instruct. Wow. And so that's what we have here. It's a sermon where Jesus is speaking to, to those that were following him, to those that, that wanted to attach themselves to him. And we have to understand that the context, right? So what was happening before this? Matthew... 4:23 to 25 the chapter previous and the verses just before our text starts and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed epileptics paralytics and he healed them great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis Jerusalem Judea and beyond the Jordan so that that's the setup right Jesus mm -hmm. was gaining popularity he was healing people people were following him now he goes he calls his disciples but then the masses come and people begin to listen. So Ray, let's kick it off. As Jesus does uh, in verse one, this is Matthew 1, uh, 5, 1 to 48, but we'll read the first few verses. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Let's start there. How can I put this? Every religious teacher combined compared to what Jesus taught is like, it's like the noonday sun compared to a flashlight without batteries. They don't come anywhere near what Jesus is saying. Never a man spoke like this man. Never a man said the things that this man spoke or said. Especially the Beatitudes. If, if, you, if you're seeking the way of salvation and you think these are seven steps to heaven, you're going to find as you go through them, they go in the other direction because they condemn us. These are virtues of the Christian character. Jim, if you've had the experience, I'm sure you have easy, maybe, Mark. If you point for a dog and say, over there, the dog will look at your finger. Hmm. It's very frustrating because the dog doesn't know what you're doing. You're pointing. Dog, yeah. I'm not, it's not my <laughs> finger. It's what I'm pointing at. I want you to look in that direction. Well, the law is a finger pointing us to Jesus. The hmm. law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, and yet the whole world looks at the finger and misses the message. We see these virtues of the Christian character, and as we go through them, especially when you get to blessed are the pure in heart, if you're trying to strive to fulfill these in your own righteousness, you're going to fall flat on your face because right. we can't be pure of heart. And it takes me back to when Moses said, let me see your glory. Hmm. The only way you can stand in God's glory is to be pure of heart because his wrath will come upon you because of his goodness, because of his holiness, his righteousness. So these, these virtues uh, leave us flat on our face when it comes to righteousness. Yeah, unless, your, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. You yeah, I was going to highlight that and say, let's talk about that. But go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I mean, I was going to point out the fact that a lot of these just seem paradoxical and they seem like you are left absolutely helpless and hopeless that you go through this and you just get tired and you're sick and you're sick and you're tired and you're tired of being sick. You're sick of being tired and Christ comes along and he brings hope. Listen to this. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. You know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied or they shall be full, as one translation puts it. The way up is down. The, the, if, if you want to be first, you know, then you're actually last. If you want to be great, you must be a servant. And it's the way that Jesus taught that caught the attention of the people. And continually, we would see Jesus and his disciples having a conversation, and the disciples kind of left scratching their head. So well, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. And he says, well, to you it has been granted, because when he had have the masses of the people, he would speak in parables. And it says without a parable, he didn't speak to them. Right. They were left confused. Having eyes to see, they couldn't see, and having ears to hear, they could not hear. And then when they were alone, he explained all things to them. And then the disciples came along and they said, look, now you're speaking plainly to us. Well, right here is a language that they could really understand because of 
what he's talking about is he covers all areas because people really had a struggle, had a difficulty, if you would, with a joy with what's going on with the Roman uh, Inquisition and, and the, the outpouring of the wrath upon the people. And there was just no justice for anybody at this time. Yeah. I love the way that crosswalk.com encapsulates the main things that Jesus was, you know, was doing. It says, Jesus did not audibly command the crowd to come to listen to him. We, we already touched on that. Uh, number two, Jesus' teaching is not a collection of religious rules to follow. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, and if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anyone except to be thrown and trampled underfoot by men. So, I mean, he's, he's not talking about, hey, you know, do this conformity, but it's who you are in essence. It's it's the heart, right? It's it's the inward uh, person. Uh, he spoke directly to our anxious hearts. Chapter six, verse twenty-five. Do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothing? And then finally, uh, the Sermon on the Mount revealed Jesus' authority. And I love this at the end of of the sermon, Matthew seven twenty-eight to twenty-nine. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the no crowd. Fair, you're jumping. You like that? <laughs> Jumping around. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Ray, what does that mean? Well, there we have the Sermon on the Mount. Thanks for joining us. We've got <laughs> to the end already. Um, finish. <clears throat> oh, Jesus spoke with authority because he had the authority. All authority yeah. was given to me, Jesus said. But I like to just camp a little bit on these Beatitudes because they're so wonderful. They really are the way of salvation. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus begins. So, so open that up, right? When the Bible speaks of being poor in spirit, that doesn't mean being without wealth. It means realizing you're destitute when it comes to righteousness. It's where the law leaves us. Most every man will proclaim his own goodness. The Bible says every man is pure in his own eyes. What the light of the law does is it shines on us and shows us God's righteousness and shows us we're poor in spirit. And what that produces is a mourning of heart. Because once you realize that you're a sinner and you drink and it can be like water and your eyes are full of adultery, you realize this is a mournful thing. I'm sorry for my sins. And the Bible says, cleanse your hands, your sinners, purify your heart, you double-minded. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Mm. So as you go through the Beatitudes, it's, it really is a way of salvation. It leaves us meek before God. And then it says, blessed are the meek, thou inherit the earth. And blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Once you realize you've been forgiven your sins, you dare not have a judgmental attitude to anybody else Hmm. because he that received mercy will give mercy. The more we realize how much we've been forgiven, the more we'll be merciful to those that are around us. How dare we even point a finger when we're so sinned against God? And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I never thirsted for righteousness before I understood the requirements of the law. I had as much desire for the word righteousness as a four-year-old boy has for the word, the word bath. It didn't, it didn't enter my vocabulary, righteousness. All I was interested in was self-indulgence. But when I saw what the law required, that God requires truth in the inward parts, then I began to say, what should I do to be made right? I began to thirst for righteousness for the first time in my life. And that's what a Christian is, someone who thirsts for that which is right. Continually, it's a virtue of his character. Let me just say real quick, Oscar, before you jump in there and rudely interrupt Ray. Um, Ray, I haven't seen you this excited <laughs> about a subject as now. I mean, this is like, you got energy in your legs? <laughs> <laughs> these are the words of Jesus. But this I love our, it. Yeah, these are the words of Jesus. This is our Lord and Savior, Amen. you know, and this is God manifest in the flesh. I mean, you think... We've got such a poor image of God until we realize, and I love pointing to thunder and lightning. He's the creator of lightning, and this was God manifest in the flesh. And if we knew that this was going to happen before it happened, we'd say, what will he say? (laughs) What will he talk like? You know, my words are spirit, they're life. And so to have these written down for us, I mean, you think, how did this happen? Was Matthew sitting there at the Sermon on the Mount writing, saying, Jesus, can you slow down a minute? (laughs) I can't catch up. You know, I'm trying to write this down for people in in future centuries. No, no, this is all God-inspired. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we're so blessed to have these words of Jesus, and they're so rich. Yeah, and the Spirit bringing, as Jesus said, He would bring to remembrance all that He taught them. You know, it's important for us to remember that when it comes to inspiration. 
conversation. It wasn't just like, oh, let's try to remember. Yeah. Like Luke and Matthew are comparing notes (laughs) because they both record the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. And so, but it it was spirit inspired, you know, because the spirit brought those things back to remember. And the other thought is people say, there's no proof that Jesus existed. Okay. Tell me who said these words and I'll fall at his feet and call him the Lord. (laughs) I'll worship him because of what he said. That's also just an ignorant statement. There is absolutely proof that Jesus existed. (laughs) Uh, Well, let me just point out that there are at least five different ways that you could uh, understand the Beatitudes. There is the Catholic view of the two-tier Christian. There's the Lutheran view of the law to prepare for the gospel. There's the Calvinist view that it's a mandate for the state. There's the liberal view, which is social optimism. And then there's a dispensationalist view, which is an interim ethic. But one thing that's common amongst all five of those ways in which we understand the Beatitudes, depending on what denomination or what history of, of Christianity that you, you align yourselves in, maybe you may identify with one over the other. Here's the one thing that's common amongst all five though, is all five scholars and theologians in those fields recognize the already but not yet aspect of the Beatitudes, that they are intending to usher in this new kind of what I've heard called an inverted kingdom. The kingdom of man lift up the powerful and the rich, the kingdom of God lift up the poor. One thing that's really interesting as I was preparing last night, you know, I texted you guys like at 11 o'clock at night because I was reading the Beatitudes and then I pulled up my commentary and I didn't go to bed until one. Thanks, easy for picking them out. (laughs) But one thing that struck out as interesting to me that I never really thought about before is that a commentator pointed out that in Matthew's Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In Luke's Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the poor, period. And so he says, there's been debate. Was it poor in spirit or was it financially poor? And this commentator pointed out that there is an intentional mystery that God through the Holy Spirit and his in his way of inspiring this divine writing left. In other words, what he points out is that nobody, nobody is safe as they look at the Sermon on the Mount. So the poor would be rich in spirit because their poverty draws them to their need for Christ. The rich would be poor in spirit because they, in their own minds, think that they have everything that they could ever need. And so what the Beatitudes do for the kingdom of God is that the poor look with humility at the rich and the rich look with humility at the poor. Mm. You see, he's equalizing all of us in this new inverted kingdom. And by inverted, of course, what scholars and theologians would say is, as I alluded to before, we prioritize so many different things as human beings. We gravitate towards our friends that drive Teslas and buy million dollar homes. Well, if you're in Orange County, everyone's <laughs> buying a million dollar home. But you get the point. We we gravitate with interest towards the rich. And in God's kingdom- With interest, I get with the interest. joke. <laughs> in God's kingdom, it's so otherly. That stuff is meaningless. Yeah. And so the point is, is that as we come to Jesus's teachings, it should humble us. If you ever come to a place where you're like, oh man, like Jesus is really giving it to the other guy, man, you've stopped listening mm-hmm. to Jesus right. because his words should convict every single one of us. Amen. All right, so let, let's keep diving into these. Uh, so Mark, uh, verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is saying, oh, blessed, oh, how happy are you, <laughs> right? When you are persecuted, when people yeah. are saying evil stuff against you, when they're falsely accusing you for his sake. Yeah, we have a joy inexpressible and full of glory in the midst of their trials and tribulation. Uh, if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. I, I remember I was on a houseboat vacation with my family, and one of my brothers had invited uh, one of his friends to come along. And I remember being up on top of the houseboat, looking out of the trees there in Sequoias uh, at Lake, Sh- Lake Shasta, just worshiping God in my heart, you know, just smiling from ear to ear, taking it in. And I, I just could not hold back mm. all that was happening. And I remember he came up behind me, and he pushed me in the back, <laughs> and he goes, stop it, just stop it. And I wasn't saying a word, did not say a word, but he, I, I just couldn't hold it back. And it reminds me again, when I was at an angel game with a different brother, uh, my this brother is Mike. baseball, is Baseball. It? Oh. Oh. <laughs> Base, 
ball, and my brother's friend was uh, behind me, sitting there. And he would, during the innings, he would lean up into my ear, and he would say, uh, there is no God. What? And I go, okay, all right. He's all, Seriously? Uh, yeah, and he would say, uh, Jesus never existed. Wow. And he'd have these little comments, and I'd look back at him, and I'd go, okay. <laughs> and then midway through the game, he pushes me in the back, what? and he goes, will you just stop being so happy? <laughs> he didn't know what to say. Yeah. I wasn't even, I wasn't bringing a rebuttal to what was going on. And then he goes, can't you see I want what you've got? And he uh, he blames me. That's as far as it went. He so didn't you wanna, were sitting in the good seat. I was sitting in the good seat. <laughs> so he wanted my seat. Can't you see I want your seat? I think he was just shocked that somebody was happy watching a baseball game. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. They throw oh, around balloons. Boy. I remember that when I went to one. I just upset half our listeners. Baseball. You know, I, I was at, uh, I had the chance to uh, marry, uh, officiate my my brother's wedding when he gotten remarried. And, yeah. Uh, this friend was at the wedding. And he was just avoiding me. And his <laughs> wife came up to me and said, you know, so-and-so blames you for the condition of his son. What? And I said, what do you, what do you mean? He's all, well, his son is a pastor now. <laughs> he goes, you shared the gospel with him on the Huntington Beach Pier. I'm thinking, I don't even remember this. No way. But apparently it left, it left an impact on this boy who ended up becoming a, a missionary and then became a pastor. And he's a local pastor in Huntington Beach. But that, here's, that's the idea, right? That we, we get persecuted for just being a Christian, yeah. for wanting to stand up for righteousness and wholesome to turn a deaf ear when somebody says an off-color joke or leaving the room if they're uh, wanting to go down a route or watch something that shouldn't be watched in, in my eyes. You know, it, you're going to be persecuted for his namesake oh. and we can rejoice in the midst of it. And, and it makes no sense. exceedingly glad. That's right. Uh, yeah. And leap for joy. So Ray, touch on that. You actually do that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not very impressive because I can't get that high. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 noticed, I noticed that when Jesus said in Luke, he added leap for joy. So I thought I'm going to do that when I'm persecuted. And what I heard is something horrible that I was supposedly done. And I read last night, some guy in the comment section on a YouTube channel says, we both know that you're one of those, what's the name of that? Um, squishy ball. Yeah, that's squishy ball. Anyway, he <laughs> said that it was something that I just wasn't. And I said, absolutely not. But people just make up lies and yeah. spread them around. And yeah. this lie spread around and it was just a horrible, horrible thing that I supposedly done. I thought, I'm going to my office and I'm just going to leap for joy. And I did. <laughs> I leapt off the ground about five feet. And that's a lie. Go, okay, five inches. But also as I hit the ground, also I've mentioned this before. <laughs> Don't you say it's a lie. I can do five inches. I, 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 <laughs> I will challenge you to do five inches. <laughs> five inches. <laughs> I can jump half my height. Yeah. And as I hit the ground, the door open and someone said someone uh, just gave the ministry twenty thousand dollars and i thought man i wish i jumped higher um but yeah what a, god says he'll reward you openly if you honor him and so honor him in that way and i often say to people you're going through a tough time someone's persecuting you go somewhere and leap for joy because that's evident evidence of your faith freemason yeah. freemasonry oh freemason. that's what it, we both know you and i both know you're a freemason i said i've never been a been to a, don't even know what it is, really. What are you talking You're a about? Freemason, the stoneworker, Illuminati. Illuminati. Yeah. Oh, that's member. right. Yeah. Well, let me just say, because it's important for us to recognize that we have listeners all over the world. And we have listeners in places like Pakistan and, you know, in the Middle East and Asia who really know what it's like to be persecuted. Mm. And so we just have to confess as Americans that our stories of persecution, it's like we're playing in. Tea well, ball. I was actually uh, stoned to death once. And <laughs> I got resurrected, and here yeah. I am. But me, I mean, really, there are Christians right. who every single day when they get up and faithfully follow Jesus, they put not only their own lives, but their families' yeah. lives at risk. And there's something beautiful to think that one day we will be in heaven with them and we will look up to them in some beautiful, mysterious way that they will be celebrated and honored for their persecution. I think when the, when, when the scriptures tell us to leap for joy, it's with that eternal mindset to know that there is some special, unique blessing, some special, unique reward to, those, to all of those Christians whose lives have been taken because of their faith in Jesus. Yeah. Speaking of that, I wonder what the apostle Paul's body must have looked like. How many times was oh. he whipped? 
Whipped, yeah, whipped. 40, 49 times. It was like Mark's face, rods, but all over. Shipwrecked. And it, it may ocean. have been with, oh. what they beat them with rods also, whatever yeah. that means. That yeah. sounds yeah, he horrific. Said beaten with rods. And, and so, and he was stoned to the point they thought he was dead. He must have been an absolute mess physically yeah. and as an older age and, uh, and listen to his rejoicing. Well, you see yeah. him in Philippians. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's, he's imprisoned and, and his joy is over the fact that gospel is getting preached, even by those who meant to do him harm. And as long as Christ is preaching, and this I rejoice. Yes, I saw a, a preacher once spoke of Paul and Silas being chained to two guards, and they said, "He said, no, no, those two guards were chained to them. <laughs> I love <laughs> so it. So they could, That's so, so they could preach to them. That's good. Yeah, Amen. Yeah. Okay. So, so then let's let's look at this one, Ray. Obviously, you know, one of your favorite things to do is to open up the the spiritual aspects of the law. Really, and, Ray and does that? No, Ray Comfort, yeah, right. <laughs> Can you squeeze your chicken? Where'd your chicken go? I put it on the ground because last time I went, when I went, (laughs) I saw the expression on your face just for a split. Yes. Oh, I love it. Oh, you do? You misread me. I'm going to do it. Every time you you say a joke that's not funny, I'll do. (laughs) (laughs) You judged me, Ray. Uh, All right. You have heard that it was said. This is verse 21 uh, of chapter 5. Uh, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause <laughs> shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Open that up, Ray. There are so many people that say there's a mistake in translation when Jesus spoke of hell. He was actually meaning the grave. Hmm. It just doesn't make sense. If you drop the word grave into every time Jesus mentioned hell and fire and worm dying not and the fire is never quenched, it obviously means a literal hell. And this shows the holiness of God that if we get unjust anger, I mean, there is just anger. We should be angry with certain things. But if we just as much as get anger without cause, we're in danger of God's judgment. Hmm. You know, his wrath abides on us as it is. If anything shows us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, it's a close look at that law. Yeah. You know, often we, I use the analogy of when you get up in the morning, you, you see dust on your table and you brush it away and it becomes clean and you draw back the curtains and let in the early morning sunlight on the table. What do you see on the table? Dust. What do you see in the air? Dust. Did the uh, light create the dust? No, the light merely exposed the dust. And when mm. you and I draw back the curtains of the Holy of Holies and let the light of God's law shine upon a sinner's heart, all it does is reveal his wicked nature and truth. Amen. And if we don't do it now, it's going to happen on Judgment Day. People say, don't make people feel guilty. Don't make them tremble. Oh, this is nothing compared to what's coming. If you think death is fearful, wait till the lake of fire after death. So oh. we need to be with Paul and say, wherefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You know, Ray, I was thinking about that actually just before the podcast. I was reviewing uh, a video that we're working on and you're talking to a young man and his girlfriend uh, in Huntington Beach. And you started to talk about hell and I saw the guy swallow hard. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, that's exactly what needs to happen. Yeah. You know, people need to be brought to the precipice of hell so that they see the severity of God's judgment. And we've touched on this many times, but that's the greatest expression of love. You know, people say, hey man, just be loving and be nice. And what are you talking about? This is a reality. We need to warn people about it. Going back to where we started, which is that the Sermon on the Mount is first and foremost for the church. And I just... This is this is one of those sections in in scripture that gives me pause because all throughout life we care so deeply about behavior modification. You know, we raise our kids to behave well. We want to behave well. We can put on this facade that we are well behaved, and then here's Jesus talking to his followers who likely are behaving well, who aren't murderers, and now he's telling them that breaking the law has everything to do with their hearts towards their neighbors. Mm. And the emphasis on this do not murder is your disposition towards the people who you don't get along with, the people who are opposed to you, the people that you've never met. And so I think to myself, like a year or so ago, we were in a meeting and I made a joke about a, a politician that I don't agree with. And I drove home that day and I was just so convicted because mm. it was this verse. It was this verse that convicted me because ultimately every single person we see on TV, on the news, every single person that takes a breath is an image bearer of God. And when we hate, when we speak out against them, when we, bla- we, we ultimately, it's, it's similar to blasphemy in the name of God because what he is saying to us, what Jesus wants us to see is that 
when we hate our neighbor, it's hating the God imaging quality that they have, right? And everyone, fallen or Christian, we all are image bearers in God. And so this this verse should really stop and give us pause because ultimately, I heard it explained like an iceberg. We we see the behaviors that we do, but God sees everything under the water. Hmm. Christians included. All of our motivations, he is seeing that. And this one really just gives me pause and humility as I go out there and I preach the gospel to other people. And one of the things that I love too is that while we fall short of loving our enemies, God did not fall short of loving his enemies. That while we murder, it's Jesus that chooses to die on the cross for us so that every single time we as Christians have some sort of anger or frustration or hatred towards another person, God has already forgiven us, which is also a reminder that the gospel is not the door that gets us into Christianity. It's the thing that sustains us every single day. The Christian needs the grace of God today. I need the grace of the God today just as much as I needed it the day God saved me. Amen. Amen. Good stuff, Oscar. Is All right, just wanna... one, one thought before we wrap up. Yeah, yeah. Um, when people say to me, I've never hated anyone, I say, you've never driven LA freeway. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. But seriously, I, I, that's when you find what your heart's really like yeah. when some guy cuts you off at 70 miles, oh, 65 miles now, whatever it's supposed to be. <laughs> and uh, that's when you feel that hatred arise in your heart and you realize, uh, there go I, but for the grace of God, we're, yeah. we're sinners by nature. Amen. Yeah, and, and Mark, we, we can't, you know, end without hitting this one that has ruined many a man's life. Mm-hmm. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman and lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yeah, it seems to be one of the go-to scriptures we can share, especially down here in Southern California, especially down at the beach, right? Right, Because looking with lust is, uh, is a terrible thing because it does lead to actions. You sow that thought, you're gonna reap an action. It is something that affects uh, not just men, but women as well. That's why we need to guard our hearts and guard our minds. And the point that Jesus is making here is not only does he see the things that you do, but the things that you meditate and you think upon. Every failure that we hear about, it really starts with a thousand private failings. Mm. Starts with the mind, starts in the heart. Mm. That's good. And Ray, we we have to hit this one, the grand finale, uh, verses 38 to 42. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. I mean, talk about <laughs> counter to human intuition, you know? How can we ever just end on that? Like a quick summary, Jesus said this, it's just so deep and so powerful and so radical. Love your enemies, do good to those that despitefully use you. It's so contrary to human thinking. Someone slaps on my face, I'm going to slap them back. The Bible says, avenge not yourself, vengeance belongs to the Lord. And the principle of Christianity is if you come up and punch me in the face and I don't punch you back, it's only because I'm committing myself to him who judges righteously. And God knows if this guy needs a punch or not, when God does a punch, he'll do it properly. So I just give it all to the Lord. And so it's not a matter of being weak. It's a matter of just trusting God in the situation. Uh, let me just say really quickly, this is this is another indication of this new ethic in God's kingdom that's so utterly different. And historians will point out that, that this whole uh, turn the other cheek was absolutely revolutionary. That even in the Old Testament, when it says eye for an eye, tooth for the tooth, that was revolutionary because back then, retaliation meant you take twice the portion. If someone took an eye, you would take two eyes. And it's so this speaking, is within a court of law. It's talking about uh, not personal retribution. Both. But in the, really? pre, Pre-Old Testament, it was personal retribution. If somebody stole one of your lambs, you'd go steal two of theirs. And then the Old Testament comes along and it says eye for an eye. And so it says equal, equal justice for equal justice. Right. And then Jesus comes along and takes it a step further and says, no, 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 turn the other cheek. In other words, allow me to repay the debt. Allow me to take care of the thing that's been taken away from you. He Basically, what he's saying is that God is the God of justice. God is the one that will bring retribution and justify you and others. Um, so that's the first thing is just, again, this new ethic in this new kingdom. And then the go the extra mile aspect. Back then, a Roman soldier had control over your day. 
So in other words, if you were on your way to work, and I'm using American metaphors here, but if you're on your way to work and a Roman soldier was like, hey, I've been carrying my shield and my armor, my sword for miles. I don't want to carry it anymore. You, Jew, hold this stuff and walk with me until I you know, make it up this hill. You would have to do that. And it was so disrespectful, dishonorable, disrupt your day completely. Mm. But by law, you had to do that. And the Jews hated this aspect because they were being controlled by Roman centurions. And Jesus comes along and says, don't just carry it up the hill. When you get up the hill, ask him, can I take it the rest of the way for you? (laughs) And it's this new ethic that transformed the world and brought Christianity to Rome. It's, it's that it's on the backbone of that kind of virtue that we need to bring the gospel into the world. One of serving and loving and sacrificing and forgiving. That's so true. It's not just a matter of, you know, walking an extra mile because you want to be kind, but you want to reach this person with the gospel. Yeah. Amen. And, and I mean, look at how, how Jesus tied this to the Lord, right? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. And then he connects it. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And, you know, it goes on from there. But following in the footsteps of our God. We think of Ephesians 5, 1 through 7. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children Mm. and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. And so, you know, again, Christ was manifesting the heart of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Have I been among you so long that you don't know, right? He reflects the heart of the Father. He shows us who God is, what God is like, and opens up to us in revolutionary ways the the truths that were always really reticent within. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's the opening up of those and uh, the, the expounding of those beautiful truths. Amen. Oh, how in the world did I think we could do the whole Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> Look at this. We've gone more than we usually go anyway. And but... we even jumped from a lot of stuff that we I could, know, have, we could have camped on so many verses. Yeah, so much there, friends. Well, I hope you've been encouraged as I have been. I, I hope you'll dig deep. You know, a part of what we do here on the podcast is whet your appetite right? We can only do so much in the 45 or so minutes that we usually do. 51. Uh, 51 today. <laughs> you can go deeper, and that's what we want you to do, to, to examine uh, the scriptures like the, uh, like the Bereans did, to see if these things are so, and to, to get God's word deep into your heart. So there you have it, friends. Don't forget to check out Jesus in red, in black, and in, te- <laughs> in teal, and the Evidence Study Bible at livingwanders.com. Make sure to comment, please, for us with your uh, ratings, and uh, to also email us at podcast.livingwanders.com with your thoughts, criticisms, and the kind of gifts you're going to send us. Ray, why are you looking at your chicken? Well, I was just going to do a finale. We should yeah. do something. Well, do it at the end, Ray. Do it at the end. Thank you for joining us, friends. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters Podcast, where we have no idea what Ray's chicken is about to do. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too, those of you who are listening. Just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters Podcast.